Welcome to APQC's podcast. I'm Holly Lake Hoagland, Principal Research Lead for Process and Performance Management. I'm joined today by two of our speakers for our upcoming Process and Knowledge Management Conference in October. Both Paul Fielsta from Accomplier and Kaylin Malley from NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory um, are part of our Engaging and Empowering Employees track, which is one of the hardest aspects of our work, people. The track explores topics around buy-in, governance, behaviors, and how to motivate and support people so they can move beyond their comfort zone. Thank you both so much for joining us today for this conversation. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. So I'm going to kind of go back and forth and ask both of you the questions. Um, The first one that I want to do, so Paul, we'll start with you. How would you define employee engagement in the context of improvement projects? Okay. Um, Great starting question. Um, I first really got into this employee engagement area a couple of years ago. I was presenting at a conference up in Minnesota and they were talking about the Gallup data. And it really astounded me that roughly a third of the people were actively disengaged. A third of the people were not engaged and about a third of the people were actively engaged. I understand the data has gone up by three percentage points last year in terms of more engagement, but you know, when I've been involved in these major change programs, um, the thing that I've seen or walked into ones that are already going is you really have to have all the cross-functional representation in, in the project team or sometimes the more than one project team. This is not only about having the performers in there, but also about having the selected and right leaders because you know, let's assume that you've done a great job communicating the case for change and people understand the why. The The thing that I've found in some cases is there's not very good representation from the business leaders. It's, it's not a wide enough business process. They've, nar- they've narrowed it down too much to use cases and things like that. So, so you have to really get the right kind of leaders involved and this is far more than just your typical process owner, champion, sponsor. I, we use a term called key leaders to represent the 10 or 15 key influencers, pathfinders, all of which have to be actively engaged and stakeholdered on a regular basis throughout the project. So we find if you involve the people that way and then ultimately get them involved in developing the leader coaching plans of how leaders are going to reinforce these future state new critical behaviors that the people can see what they have to do, why they have to do it, and they can see that they're going to be actively supported by leaders and teams. And again, that brings kind of the positive reinforcement into play from the behavioral science perspective that I come from. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kaylin, how do you define employee engagement in the context of improvement projects? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I agree with a lot of the things Paul said. Um, and I like this concept of, of key leaders. I hadn't heard of that before in finding those. Um, I, guess the, I mean, but the importance of um, connecting employees with uh, leaders who are going to support them and, and know that if they want to get involved, that they're going to be allowed to be involved. And so for me, when I think about employee engagement related to um, improvement projects, I think a lot about, um, you know, employees being encouraged to 
um, to continue doing improvements in their own areas. You know, I, I've um, seen that that sometimes well-meaning frontline supervisors, right, trying to manage a bunch of things and trying to do a lot of different things might say say no to improvement projects, right, coming into their area. Um, but to me, that's that's the key to get employees engaged is that if an employee comes to these frontline supervisors and they want to be more engaged, they want to take ownership of their work to um, encourage supervisors to say yes to that and um, get employees engaged from that perspective of um, getting invested in their own work group's outcomes, right? Getting um, invested and being able to, to lead activities in, in their control. Um, so, so when I think about, um, yeah, employee engagement, I really think of what's going to um, help employees get, get more involved in their work, be more fulfilled by their work, and, and really um, helping them uh, be empowered to do that in their own work areas. So from both of you, it sounds like there's a little bit of empowerment at the leadership level by getting in the right behaviors so they can lead it the right way, empowering employees to have the ability to, to do things and have kind of improvement work be something that they do rather than something that's done to them. Um, and kind of looking at a mixture of both of those activities to really help with that engagement. Yeah, I, I like your point, Carolyn, on the, on the leaders and frontline leaders. I saw some Gallup data that said, if you look organization to organization about the, their level of employee engagement, 70% of the variance in employee engagement can be explained by the leadership practices and behaviors of the folks' immediate you know, leadership team and all that. So again, it's leadership, leadership, leadership. <laughs> all right, thank you. So what, um, Kaylin, what do you feel are the biggest barriers then to engagement and, and what are the best ways to overcome them? Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'll kind of continue on to what I started with in terms of like if, if leaders discourage that involvement or discourage um, being proactive and wanting to uh, go about and being more involved maybe beyond someone's normal role. Mm -hmm. um, uh, to me, that, that's probably one of the, the biggest barriers I, I see um, of just being, you know, employees being told no. Of, of things that they want to go and do. Um, and in terms of how to overcome that, you know, there's, there's different ways, you know, one would be to provide alternate places for employees to go get involved, right? Not just within, you know, not just having the, the line of their direct supervisor, right? If they're not being able to explore and um, get more engaged in their, their current work area, but providing um, alternate places for employees to go to be more engaged. Um, so whether that's, you know, having a more centralized improvement group that they can go to, or you know, there's employee resource groups, there's um, different places maybe employees can go to get um, more involved so that they can get encouraged to, uh, you know, just have that extra encouragement, that extra coaching um, to, to continue to be engaged. Perfect. Thank you very much. Paul, uh, same question from your perspective. What do you feel are the biggest barriers to engagement and how to overcome them? So if I go back over oh, roughly my time in the 90s with the Rumler Brace Group to now, I, I, it's interesting on, on significant change initiatives. First and foremost, I tend to see very, uh, there isn't a broad enough uh, leader support network. I mean, I remember supporting a Lean Sigma program and, and you know, day one, 
the black belt only talked to the champion or sponsor or anything. They didn't really have, again, I used the term key leaders for those eight, 10, 12 other key folks. There just was no engagement there. And so, um, and the other part of that was um, some of these engagements were not run with the leaders actually owning the initiative. I saw that in Lean Sigma, you know, the classical problem of the belt trying to quote, hand the project over in the control phase. Well, frankly, there, if you're doing this right, there is no handoff because the leader owns it, you know, soup to nuts. I saw it in technology deployment also where, you know, if they're doing what I call technology-driven technology deployment, in other words, they're running these little tactical use cases and they're not getting at the fundamental business processes where the technology is just an enabler. So being able to do business-driven technology deployment, again, links enough of the business leaders in there. And then in kind of the methodology and tool set I've used over the last 15 years, again, this key leader involvement, the, the project team is creating behavioral type deliverable, behaviorally annotated process, both current state and future state. And these, these tools and project activities, they get stakeholdered back to these key leaders so that you get a vetting back with them about what behavior is and how it, how it matters. The other responsibility for the project team members, besides doing that stakeholdering one-on-one, is to go back to their functional pods and tell people within that functional pod, you know, here's where we're at, here's where we're going, here's what we're seeing. So you're you're kind of establishing a broader and deeper beachhead, as you, and particularly important to do in the current state because that's where people relate to this stuff the best. So, um, so again, if you involve the people in that work and you involve them the right way, you stakeholder it, um, you just establish a, a much more effective beachhead of people that know what's coming. And they can, and you're building the leader support to drive it um, as you get into the pre-deployment. Sounds like from both perspectives, leadership can be a barrier. And part of it is by creating that sense of ownership and accountability by leadership and engaging them enough to be able to allow and, and work with their employees to, to kind of further that mission. Um, and to your point, Kaylin, that if that isn't there, then there needs to be other ways that people can get involved in improvements. Because as we know, people want to do a good job. People want to do what's best for their organization and what they do. And they can get really passionate about it. And the worst thing is if you kind of keep shutting that down, they become disengaged. And that can have a negative effect at any level of the organization. There's one more thing, Holly. I I think that um, I've seen enough that I'd I'd like to at least note it. I, I call it the silver bullet mentality. Okay. And this can be with key leadership or with within your organization. The silver bullets are the, you know, we just need this technology tool or uh, we just need to train them. You know, we, we tell them what to do. We've been telling them, you know, for months, we train them, then they should go do it. I call this in behavior, behavioral science land, I call this antecedent thinking. Okay. Right. You think if you provide the antecedents that people will just go do it. And so, the silver bullet mentality really is hard to overcome, but you just, and that's why the key leader stakeholdering is so important. You know, you know, project one leaders don't know what they don't know. And so being able to show how behavior matters and specifically how it relates to the project and ultimately their role as consequence providers, you know, kind of helps break this, what I call silver bullet mentality. 
Right. Well, and I know historically in change, we see a lot of that kind of push communication, right? To people that this is the new way, this is the new process, or this is what's going on. Here's the new, here's the new technology. There you go. You've got your, your two day training, go forth. Um, Really that focus on, on changing behaviors and understanding why people do the things that they do and, and, and what can they do differently in a way that motivates them is incredibly important. Um, a lot of organizations are now moving more towards like looking at behavior shifts as part of how they're measuring change management rather than that kind of check the box we sent out communication. We did some training. So, so thank you both. Um, Paul, so how, in your opinion, do you empower people to take on formal and informal roles in their teams or functions to kind of help support new initiatives and those behavior changes? Okay. Um, great question. Um, so, First and foremost, I think beyond, and again, I'm going to go beyond all the stuff that's typically done on communications is um, when we're kind of running a change initiative on a more formal project, one of the things that we have as part of the regular project team meetings is is actually discussing, okay, what's going on in your one-on-one key leader stakeholding meetings? As you go back into your organization and talk to your peers and teams, about where we're heading here, you know, what kinds of comments, concerns are you hearing about? And we want to go out and get a lot of this feedback because it helps, number one, either change what we're doing within the project team, but also importantly, it's a feedback loop into the communication strategy and plan um, that's being worked. So what we're what we're trying to do is make a large part of the organization know, again, where we're going, what exactly they have to do differently, how they're going to be supported. And this is where we ultimately tie in what we call the leader coaching plans, because for those future state key or critical behaviors, this is the leaders getting together and leaders of leaders and performers, and they develop their own leader coaching plans. This is not given to them and here what you're going to do. The critical behaviors are a given and the behavior metrics are a given. So now let's talk about what are we going to do within our teams, our management rhythms, and we involve multiple levels of leadership in that because, again, there's nothing more powerful and effective than a leader of leader reinforcing their leaders. And and so we're and we communicate about the stuff that we're going to be doing all along. So people know this is going to be actively supported in a meaningful way. Um, so that's, that's our primary way of dealing with that. Okay. So a lot of it then looks like kind of supporting and having people think through things in a time, less about kind of the, the structural piece that you see in communication, but more of the tactical level of how does this affect us? How do we enact this? And how do we, we, you know, start showing those new behaviors and leading that way? Right. I, I don't necessarily agree that resistance is inherent and natural with change. I think that's overblown and overused as a term. I think it depends on how you engage people from day one in knowing the what and the hows and the wherefores. And, and again, my experience, you know, three years I supported a technology portfolio and we did 18 or 20 technology deployments and they all were successful from a behavior change perspective in terms of accelerated and sustained behavior change because the organization knew exactly what the stuff we were doing, the kind of stuff I was talking about. So 
it was, it, it's a great way to do it. You can get ahead of resistance by using the engagement in the leadership track. Kaylin, and I know you kind of talked about early on in, in this conversation about empowerment. Um, so from your perspective, how do you empower people to take on those formal and informal roles within their teams to kind of help support those initiatives? Yeah, um, so there's a few different areas, I guess, I, I think about for um, getting uh, employees to um, you know, really take ownership of, of those those changes and um, welcome those changes, right? Um, you know, the idea, of course, of having them involved early on, you know, of, of any change management, we always um, talk about that, right? Having them in, involved in the solutioning up front too, right? Um, uh, as well as, you know, understanding, you know, it comes back to root cause. Why were we doing things in this old way? And how can we make that behavior change now? How can we make that behavior easier, the new process easier? How can we make that more natural for people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's really easy to get people to come along with something if you make their job easier. Um, it's just getting that, that over that little hump of, of making that change the first time versus, um, you know, if, if it's a more cumbersome process, right? We, we certainly don't want to go down that track. Um, and then I, I'd say also, you know, uh, in terms of just looking at incentives of uh, what we're doing for employees who are um, welcoming those changes and welcoming those those new initiatives, maybe taking ownership of those, um, you know, are there actual financial incentives in terms of being involved in, in these uh, you know, large changes that oftentimes have financial benefit to the, to the company? Um, that's, that's one way to try and build it in, but it can also just be in terms of culturally, right? How are those people being recognized just in their meetings around their peers? Um, and how are, uh, yeah, how, how are those folks getting, um, the recognition? Maybe it's just, you know, being able to, um, have more, uh, career progression options, right? Getting the, uh, the opportunity to speak in front of, uh, upper management or, or small things like that, right? It doesn't have to be large um, incentives that are all financially tied. But um, I think in, in terms of thinking about though, um, how are how are you rewarding those employees that are that are uh, welcoming those changes? I think that's um, a big key in in helping encourage that behavior, creating that culture, and um, yeah, getting people to to welcome those changes more and more. Awesome. Thank you both. Um, so the last question I have, um, and Kayla, we'll start with your responses. So one of the biggest struggles we always see when we have improvement programs, whether they're large scale, enterprise wide or, or small team uh, improvements is, is making the changes stick. So creating sustainable changes. So how do you deal with that challenge? Yeah, it is a challenge. <laughs> um, uh, you know, one of the um, philosophies, at least that I've seen work the best is again getting getting the people who actually do the work to own that change from the beginning, right? So um, you know, and this this comes from more of you know the the Lean Six Sigma perspective of coming in as a coach versus coming in as owning that process change. Um, I think Paul alluded to this earlier of you know that the the managers who own that process they should own that that change from the get go. Um, so I think that, again, for, for big or small changes, if the employees who are doing the work own it and they, they understand the, um, 
they understand why the change happened, they understand the work that went in to make the change happen, uh, they're going to make sure that it sticks, right? Um, they're they're going to they're going to also understand the the culture of their own group and be able to step in if the um, if the improvements or the the change effort is dwindling. They're going to be able to do something to to help make sure that um, it, it doesn't go away, that that improvement doesn't. Uh, disappear. So I, I think really just having people, um, you know, be involved, not only I guess involved, but be able to lead those efforts from the get go that who own the work um, is is a, a way to help make sure that those improvements stick. Okay. So a lot of again, going back to some of that empowerment aspects about that engagement early aspects, making sure that they own it, they feel a sense of ownership instead of taking it behind the black curtain. Um, fixing the process and then bringing it back to them, but engaging them throughout the entire thing. Um, Paul, do you have anything else to add? So from your perspective, how do you make changes stick? Um, Yeah, I'd like to uh, build on Kaylin. So again, if you've you've captured the key behaviors you want to change and you've engaged the key leaders and all that, and you run a leader coaching plan workshop and you now have the coaching plans. So the coaching plans basically involve really tapping into the management system or the management rhythms. And so, so cause part of the reinforcement activities are whether daily standups or weekly meetings, whatever is, is having discussions from a positive perspective about how they're progressing on the changes. The other part of this in behavior land that's interesting is so we use the term pinpointing in terms of how you define those behaviors, by definition, pinpointing is you have to be define it specifically, it's observable and measurable. So there's always a behavior metric associated with critical and key behaviors. It's these behavior, and the behavior metric is a given, it goes with the critical behavior in the leader coaching plan workshop. That behavioral metric weaves its way and is part of the management rhythms and is part of assessing how well they're really progressing. In some significant projects I've done, selected behavioral metrics are are so critical. They work their way up not only through the weekly management rhythms, they're on the, the business unit dashboard for the monthly meetings and are always reviewed because in effect, they become the ultimate leading indicator even in front of in-process metrics. So, so again, if you can, you know, what you don't measure and manage, you'll never get on top of it. You have to model it, you have to measure it, then you can manage it. The models are in the, the work. And so when you build it right into the management rhythms, then you'll get the sustainability. And I love that point about behavior measures being early indicators. So some of the research we did in change management a few years back, looked at kind of the balance and mix of measures to manage changes. Mm-hmm. And this first measures you really need to pay attention to is behavior because you need to see that people are starting to do things different. So, you know, when you have those coaching moments, you know that things are starting to take traction and those are going to change. Those behaviors are going to change. Like you said, before the performance measures do before any ROI or payback on the project's going to happen. Um, that's kind of stage one. And you need to keep an eye on it even after you go into some of the other stages, just to make sure it doesn't slip back. So, yeah. All right. Well, thank you both for your great insights and the conversation is a topic I absolutely adore. Um, So it's been fun talking to you both. And I also look forward uh, to both of your sessions at the conference and seeing you both in person there. 
Um, And thank all of you for listening to this APQC podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to APQC podcasts and visit apqc.org to learn more. So have a great rest of your day.